On today's episode of Double Down Trent, we are welcoming back reoccurring guest Coulter as we discuss Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. We're giving you our instant reactions. We're going to tell you whose performance we like better of Brad and Leo's, as well as what side character kind of stole the show. And then the second half of the episode, we are breaking down Martin Scorsese's newest trailer for The Irishman. We got De Niro. We got Pesci. We got... Pacino, we got Kaitel, the whole gang is back. So stick around for episode 42 of Double Down Trent. Double Down Trent, you might want to tune in. Talking gambling and sports, predicting who might win. Pop culture to movies. Let's start up the combo. Ryan and Aaron, man versus the motto. Keep it authentic and it's always live. So competitive, so you know it's always hype. Make sure you subscribe. Trust you don't want to miss. Going all in here on Double Down Trent. Hey, yeah. Double Down Trent, let's go. This is Double Down Trent. To my right is Bounty Law series lead and Jake Cahill himself, Rick Dalton. And to my left is Rick stunt double Cliff Booth. So, Rick, uh, explain to the audience exactly what it is a stunt double does. Actors are required to do a, a lot of dangerous stuff. Cliff here is meant to help carry the load. Is that uh, how you describe your job, Cliff? What, carrying his load? Yeah, it's about right. All right, we are welcoming back reoccurring guest Coulter. Coulter, we finally have reached a point where we both have seen Quentin Tarantino's latest movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. We need to get your thoughts, my thoughts, see where we stand. So before we jump into the specifics, what was your immediate takeaway? You know, I love going to the movies because I think movies more than any other medium kind of tap into your deep psychology and you almost find things that you didn't even realize that you liked. And the beauty of this movie for me is that like it awoke this part of me that's always been there, but it kind of just brought it to the surface. Like I love movies that are just about two friends taking a journey. They don't necessarily need to be in every scene together and they kind of come back together in the end. And it's really just their journey. They're navigating this, this kind of unknown life this change in their life and it really is just a story about two guys who are friends and their 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 life or their transition so happens to juxtapose right next to um what would have been or you know i don't want to spoil anything but this murder scene um in 1969 so overall i loved it i thought it was just a beautiful movie and uh i thought I mean, that, that was the best uh, execution of male friendship, I think, on the <laughs> on the silver screen since Shawshank Redemption. I mean, I just loved everything about Rick and Cliff's, uh, you know, they're just – one of my favorite scenes in the movie is them just watching TV and having a beer together, watching yeah. the FBI – watching uh, Leo on FBI. I loved that scene. So just like the small stuff, uh, yeah, I mean, I can't get enough of it. I went to go see it again on Wednesday. Um, I just loved it. It was my, my favorite movie of the year for sure. So you've seen it twice now? I have, yeah. Did it, did it hold up, or was it better on the second view? Yeah, yeah. No, I think uh, the second viewing really drilled home that it's like a comedy. And if you didn't stay for the – if you haven't seen it, stay for the extra scene at the end because I think it definitely drills home the fact that, like, it's a comedy. You know, it's a funny movie. And so, yeah, seeing it again, I mean, it was – I know a lot of people have been complaining about how long it is. It zipped by. It felt like it was a two-hour movie, not a two-hour and 40-minute movie. And it was just, a, I was laughing the whole time. There was just little bits. I mean, from the opening sequence with Pacino 
taking his chair out or doing the chair thing for him and DiCaprio's reaction <laughs> to that. It's just like little stuff. It, I mentioned the TV watching thing. He's like criticizing the guys he worked with. He's, he's like, this guy's a piece of shit. He's like, that's a good guy. Like just the little stuff is so good. And uh, yeah, I mean, just a marvelous film. I just, I can't say enough good things about it. I mean, you can't really talk about it without the ending. So yeah. I, I, at the top of this, without spoiling anything, I loved it. I recommend everybody to go see it. And I think it's, it's one of Quinn's, better movies and definitely one of the better things I've seen in the last five years. It's just a tremendous uh, piece of work. Yeah. I, I, when I was watching it, uh, I really had no idea the direction it was going to go. Like, well, that's the other thing too, is he, he bakes in the suspense with this yeah. outrageously funny movie, but it's like the scene at Spawn Ranch. Ooh, I don't want to get, we should cut it off ourselves and just do a spoiler part of this in a second. But like yeah. the scene at Spawn Ranch, I honestly thought, uh, well, again, I don't want to spoil here, but like I thought Brad Pitt was going to, you know, get killed or something. So the tension's really high then, and the tension going into the final 20 minutes is unreal. It's like he doesn't really have much violence in the movie, so you know it's coming. Like you just, you know that something bad is about to happen, and so it's like he really ratchets it up in the final 20 minutes, and it has been flash forward, which is so unique. He's never done that in a movie, and I'm sure we could talk about kind of the narrative structure of this one compared to his other movies. Uh, I think a lot of people are comparing the ending to Inglorious Bastards. I could see that comparison. I, I think Pulp Fiction would probably be the closest thing, I think, in terms of the narrative structure. What do you think? See, and I've heard people say that as well, that it's closest to Pulp, but I think in like the the tonality and the way it felt, I actually thought it was more like Jackie Brown. Like Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, like a hangout movie. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So like, as it was happening, I really had no idea what was going to happen. And finally, like an hour in, I was like, you know what? I'm just enjoying watching like Leo. So good. Yeah. yeah and his role. Like, it's so easy it. to watch. I think that was my biggest takeaway the second yeah. time. It's like, uh, it is, it's going to be an automatic or watchable. It really goes down. It goes down like a nice warm apple cider on a fall morning. Like it just is so pleasurable. I don't understand how anybody could really have criticisms with it. I will say the one thing, second viewing, the one criticism, and I was saying this to my brother the other day that I actually really do agree with and that holds water is she really does not have many speaking lines. And again, yeah. I don't want to spoil too much. We, we're, we're in spoil mode now. I'm, we'll just declare yeah. it down. The From podcast. here on in, if anyone hasn't <laughs> seen the movie, you probably should shut this off, but go, uh, go let's go ahead. It. Let's spoil it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that would be the one thing in terms of how it will age. I don't know how it will, if it will age well enough because she doesn't have, you don't get to know her. Like you get to know the inner workings of Rick's mind. You get to see him in his trailer yelling at himself, drinking, being upset at his behavior for drinking. You kind of get the narration about what his character, what his mindset has been while he's in Italy. And you get a lot of with Cliff too. You spend a lot of time with Cliff driving. And I mean, he's almost the slowest moving character of the three, but you really don't get a lot from her. And she definitely does not have any sort of Quentin Tarantino dialogue. She doesn't get to utter any of his great words. And that's like kind of the really, uh, the down part of her character is that, but I get what he was doing with her She's more representing of this like angelic uh, era. Yeah. And it's like almost that he saves her. And so it's almost this, this movie was almost his act of trying to say that the golden age never died or his wish that the golden age never died. And I, I really enjoyed that the way that the ending, you know, there's only one thing that happens there the, you know, <laughs> Leo and Brad do work on the hippies, which is just an all time <laughs> great scene. And then, uh, shout out to Emil Hirsch. She pops up there at the very end in the, in the fence and Leo walks up and, and they, you know, I get a drink together and you're led to believe his career is fine and you're led to believe that they're fine. Uh, but like, it really is 
you could think about the ending for a while, even though there's not, it's not like uh, Inception, just the name of the film. You're not like, it's not open to interpretation, but at the same time, it really is. It's like, yeah. it's, it, Quentin Tarantino clearly really wanted, he has a deep feeling to save these people's lives. And yeah, he, it's impossible. You can't, time is undefeated. But like when you can make something as meditative and beautiful as this, the representation of seeing her alive that night after the incident happens, it is enough to, to make her feel alive. So it, it really is uh, just a really effective movie. Uh, effective movie. I was moved by it. I laughed. It was just the best. It really was funny. I mean, there's parts of that movie where I was cracking up where, you know, Tarantino movies have sharp lines and lines you where you're like, you kind of like chuckle a little bit, but rarely are you like, holy shit, that was a really funny moment, at least in my opinion. I also loved the soundtrack, the oh, like soundtrack, man. I've been listening to it all week. It's, it's so incredible. Good. Like it really it keeps the vibe going the whole time. And there's songs that I obviously knew, but like I didn't realize yeah. like all Makes those you deep love cuts. Old songs for yep. sure. Yeah. Yep. Uh from like the set pieces to the car, just the authenticity of the way it looked. Like I just picture in my head that that is exactly what 1969 LA looked like. And yeah. I thought that was great. And literally I, I wasn't sure where it was going. So at first in the first like hour, I'm like, man, I don't know what's, what's going on. You just get like, you know, random Westerns and like these cuts of the movies. I'm like, what are they doing here? But finally I reached a point where I was like, all right, this is clearly not going to be like Django. Wait, it's not being glorious. It's yeah. not going to be one of those movies. So I was like, I'm just along for the ride at this point. And then once Leo has the like meltdown on set, he's in his trailer freaking out. I'm like it, that's some of the best Leo stuff I've seen. Maybe I could, couldn't agree trip. more. I, I think it's Leo's best performance. I was saying this to a friend the other day, and I'll, 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 I'm happy to have that be my take. You know, it, uh, he's done great work in Wolf of Wall Street, where he's kind of this egomaniac, and he's very vulnerable in The Departed, and very memorable in The Departed. He's, I mean, obviously won the Academy Award for The Revenant, so those are some of his best works. And I would say, I mean, if you're actually my my his best acting, in my opinion, actually was in The Aviator uh, 15 years ago. Um, very good. Yep. Yeah, uh, but. He's had different iterations of kind of being this vulnerable character. I think it started in The Aviator and it's kind of evolved into The Departed where he kind of, you know, he's almost showing you part of his process. But this is like the hood isn't just open. The hood has been detached and you see everything under every mechanism that's working in this guy's arsenal as an actor. He really shows everything that he's doing. Uh, And yeah, that scene with the little girl. And then I love the scene with Oliphant where they they flashed the great escape great I mean, escape what yep. a, what a bold choice I, I was sitting in the movie and i turned to kelly and i'm like i can't believe he fucking just did that <laughs> and that, that you know that was like that's like scene 19 in terms of like if i were to rank my favorite scenes in this movie but like what a bold and audacious choice like he did stuff like that in this movie that he's never done in any of his other movies i mean just to interrupt your film and then have a two and a half minute refilming of the great escape of leonardo dicaprio i mean bold as fuck i can't believe it and to have it's it just it's so funny how they played with with Leo and the character like everyone obviously that's seeing this movie is like oh that's Leo he's fucking the most famous actor uh, you know actor right. of all time On right now planet, yeah and to have Timothy Oliphant being like talking to him like Leo's the washed up one who's got like the yeah. bit part in this TV show like oh did you almost get that role like who are the, who are the Georges who are the three Georges <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah I mean, I mean about it. What I couldn't get in the second viewing is, is Olfon doing that to him almost to psych Leo out of that scene so he has the upper advantage while they act together? Or, but, but anyways, my takeaway was that like the whole confrontation with Olfon, whether it was friendly or not, is that like it, it takes him to another level and it almost 
it also helps him get to the point where he realizes that he needs to get to Rome because it's like yeah. Pacino's words are definitely echoing in his ear for the first half of the movie, but it's not until he realizes that like great escape thing, like, fuck, man, I was a leading actor. I have the chops to be a leading actor. And then he puts it on the – he does it in that in the show, Lancer, which is a great scene, and then the girl whispers to him like that's the best acting. It's total validation for him. And it's exactly yeah. what he needs at that moment in his life to get to Italy. And then I, I actually really, you know, at the first viewing, I really didn't love the fast forward. But, I mean, you have to get to that night. And so, like, I, you don't really need to see him in Italy. You get the bar scene where him and Cliff, <laughs> you know, are talking. and Getting hammered. Yeah, he tells Cliff, you know, well, that's this is before the hammering. But, yeah, mm. he tells Cliff, like, we're about to get that's hammered. That's right. We get back, yeah. Yep. <laughs> uh, but I think I, that was enough for me. Uh, you know, obviously, again, a bold choice to flash forward like that in the middle of your movie. It's Yeah. And I loved everything about the whole, like, lead up to – right up until we got to Spawn Ranch. And I'll quickly just dive into Brad Pitt. It, it was yeah. great. Like, he just – the whole part where they made him – I, I don't know how I felt about the part where they just kind of used his dead wife as a joke. Like, well, they're clearly implying that he killed her, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's yeah. a wife killer. I yeah. mean, the other thing about that is he go, and this is like for people that are like nerds like us, I don't even think they'll notice it. But like that scene is a flashback within a flashback within a flashback. Yeah. Like, he fucking goes inception. Le- yeah, yeah, he goes deep into this like it's like rings of time. And it's like that's where. You could show that he, he it, he's showing that he's still the master because that's so seamless. You're Brad Pitt, you're on the roof. He thinks back to the scene. It cuts away. You don't even realize you're in a flashback just yet. Yeah. And then it's just like he flashes back to killing the wife. And then it's just like and then it zips back to him on the roof. And you're like, whoa, yeah. like, this guy is so good. Yeah, it was great. I actually thought, it, you know, his role to me was kind of similar to uh, Rusty in Ocean's Eleven. Like he was just kind of like, for the most part, hanging out. And then at the end, all of a sudden you get his little Aldo, the Apache comes in and he's just this like badass mix of like some cool dude hanging out and some really badass stuntman who's going to just kill the fuck out of some hippies. <laughs> yeah, he really unleashes there on that one, the redhead. Uh, oh, my God. So you obviously knew at that point that crazy violence was about to ensue. But I got to say, I was even I was like, holy shit, this is intense. Yeah, no, I, it was. You're right. Because seeing it twice, too, it's like both times where you know he the dog takes out text for the most part uh and the girl obviously gets the the other girl who leo ends up killing is obviously punished by the dog too but then what brad does to that redhead is like oh my super, god super duper violent yeah, and i gotta hand it to tarantino because even up until that point i had no idea where this was going so i leaned over while we were seeing it and i whispered to ak i was like i bet you that they're gonna come back and try and kill brad pitt like follow them back, but they're going to go to the wrong house and, and go to Sharon Tate. And that's how Tarantino is going to basically explain the murder. And I was wrong, obviously. But uh, I, I thought the scene, too, like because up until that, there really wasn't much violence. There wasn't much like Tarantino flair in terms of that kind of. No, I mean, the only to. the only violent scene and there's not even blood in it is the and it's this scene is arguably the funniest scene in the movie is the Bruce Lee fighting scene. I mean, yeah. That's the only other like fight in the movie, and it's really plays for comedy with uh, Brad Pitt imi- imitating him. And then I-, I love the line where it's like, like one of Bruce's like key grips or whatever is just like, yeah, you know that guy's famous. He's like, that guy's not famous. He's like, yeah, he killed his wife. He's like, yeah. that guy killed his wife. Yeah, <laughs> I'll fight him anyways. And then he, yeah. of course he, he gets great served. Script writing too, because he just says that guy, and then once the the key grip goes, oh yeah, kill his wife. He goes that guy, and it was just a whole yeah. different, he said it. Oh yeah, oh it was great. Good. 
Um, so, so let's go to the Spawn Ranch scene because I think for me that's when the movie kind of pivots. Definitely. I, I had no idea what was going to happen. Like I couldn't tell if the whole group of hippies was going to like team up on him. I didn't Drop know. Rat. If, yeah. Yep. I don't know if someone was waiting in one of those rooms just to like cut him up. I was on the edge of my seat to the point where I look over and AK almost had her eyes covered. She was like, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen right now. It was just yeah. a master class in suspense. And he just kind of used that as like a little tease as to the end, which I thought was fantastic. I thought it was great. And then you get Bruce Dern. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say the Bruce Dern, it, he wakes him up and he's like, yeah, I'm Cliff Booth. Who? John Wilkes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, Dern is great. Uh, that whole scene, yeah, really did play. Because it's like, he goes back inside that house. Brad Pitt's out. I mean, another just another directing trick that he does there. It's like, you're with Brad Pitt. You're rooting for Brad Pitt. Yet, you're there for about, what, 15 to 20 minutes in that yeah. scene. And you're really not with Brad Pitt. You're you're into that. You go into the house uh, where, um, I want to say Elle Fanning, but that's not. Dakota Fanning Dakota is. Fanning. And all the other hippies, you go into the house and see them watching TV like six or seven times. Uh, and yeah. you're, you're cutting back and forth. You're barely getting what Brad's doing outside. But hell, Brad could have been killed while we're cutting inside to see these kids watching TV. So it's like you're with Brad, but you're really not. And it's disjointing. And then it's like, as the audience, you're just like, well, we're now we're kind of not with Brad. So it's like I'm kind of feeling that he might be going here. You know, this might be his like exodus here. And obviously – He's totally, you know, he's out there on a whim. He didn't tell anyone he's there. Like, it would make sense that he just disappeared. But luckily, I mean, the movie plays out a lot better than he's in it at the end. Oh, yeah. And, <laughs> so that he saves the, and that he saves the acid dip cigarette to the end, too. And he's just doing that I thing love, with his hand. Like, uh, oh, man. <laughs> so, I love Chekhov's acid dip cigarette. I love the planting <laughs> of that. It's, it's so well. Uh, there was another uh, Chekhov's thing that's planted on early in the movie that ends up coming back, too. I forget. Uh, shit. The flamethrower? Yes. Yeah. Chekhov's yeah. flamethrower. Yeah, yeah. You see that in the first 10 minutes yeah. and br- brilliantly brings it back. I mean, and it's so good. He even like kind of teased it. Cause when earlier in the movie, when, when Leo goes out into his, uh, like that pool shed, I guess you can see the, the flamethrower sitting there, but you don't realize it's the flamethrower until at the end of the movie when he picks it up and you're like, Oh my God, it was there the whole time. <laughs> yeah. It's so good. And I love, I love his like, aw shucks. I think I feel bad cause I've seen it twice. I feel like I should know it better. He's like Missouri, right? Is that where he's from? Something he's, like, he's like I can't remember. So, he's got he that weird accent. To him, like I'm going back to Nashville or Missouri or something to him. And so it's like he's got this like Southern innocent almost or like he's just so like funny. Like, he's talking to Hirsch in the final sequence and he's oh. like, oh, thank, thank God it worked. Thank yeah, God it still worked. That part to me, <laughs> I was cracking up at that. Ass. Just the, the pure, I guess, juxtaposition of you see all this ultra violence, and then he's making jokes, not jokes, but he's like, yeah, he's well, talking to the aren't. police with a picture of, of margaritas. Yeah. He chases them off with a picture of margaritas, yeah. just hysterical. And then post the violence, he's still drinking the margaritas. Yeah. This is, I have to bring it up because we're talking about the booze. Cliff Booth, legend, by the way, I'm declaring him a film legend. <laughs> uh, it's been only a week, but he's a legend. He drinks bottomless bloodies on the international flight all the way from Italy to LA <laughs> and then goes out, gets shit faced drunk, can't even drive his car home and smokes an acid cigarette. He must be all time drunk and, and so stoned. And then he goes and kills those. T- I, I mean, he must've been so wasted. Hypothetic. I mean, yeah. I know he's just a movie character, but it's just so great. Oh. And he's the kind of guy that could take it. That's like, it's totally plausible. He's just the kind of guy that just does that, you know? He's so, he's so malleable. You can do whatever you want with him. Oh yeah. So who would you say, and, and before we kind of go to where we'd rank this in Tarantino's filmography, mm-hmm. 
Which of the smaller characters do you think was the most memorable oh, yeah. or, or had the best impact on the movie? Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned it. I did want to give a shout out because I always loved him in high school ever since I saw Into the Wild. I did want to give a shout out to Emil Hirsch because I felt like in the right setting, we were talking about going into this movie, like the, the, the actor that gets kind of like carried up by Tarantino. I can see this helping his career because the talent has always been there with that guy. So, And he's in the final scene with DiCaprio. He's going toe-to-toe with DiCaprio in the final five yeah. minutes of this gigantic movie. Uh, so I definitely think he should get a nod for just uh, in terms of like actor at a low point that Tarantino found and maybe is reviving. Um, in terms of you can't not mention Margaret Qualley. I mean, That's her chemistry with Brad Pitt is insane. I mean, she just does the stuff that she does with her eyes and her biting of the lip. I mean, she's insanely attractive to it should be noted um but she just does such a great job physically um and then her chemistry with the guy who's so much older than her is like ridiculous yeah um, she sold it for me i was like who in the hell is that because i haven't i hadn't seen her in anything i was like what i've never oh, you ever seen, seen the leftovers nope i was oh, blown away i was like holy shit terrific yeah no that's a terrific show i'd highly recommend it yeah i mean I, it, you're hard pressed not to go with margaret qualley she's kind of like the breakout star you sure i'm sure she's going to get even more parts because of this and there's actually one other person too i want to throw out there and i'm sure that you julia butters plays oh, the yeah. girl she oh. is fantastic in that scene absolutely and, fantastic and her like meta commentary of actors like the goal oh, is yeah. section it's the like i forget the exact wording of it but i was like that is just brilliance of script writing and she was just delivering it like could you imagine a 10 year old going up toe-to-toe with leo and not know, only holding her own but like almost stealing the scene Almost stealing the scene for sure. Yeah. And then, yeah, she's so charming and she's got the pads on after he throws her. I <laughs> love the stuff with the director too. Uh, I love that. He's like, give me evil Hamlet. Evil yeah. Hamlet. <laughs> so oh, man. Good. He was good too. The, whoever played the uh, director. I forget I was who that guy little, was, but yeah, I read that he was like, uh, Sam uh, Wanamaker. Yeah, he's a real, yep. he's a real character. Yeah. Yep. So um, okay. funny. So where do you got this? Does it fall into your top five for Tarantino? I think it does. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to rank it too high too early, but it's just so enjoyable. It's, I feel like every conversation, I mean, I don't know too many people that have seen it, but like, I feel like every conversation I have had with the people that have seen it have been about this. So it's been a week since I've seen it. And like the three buddies I know have seen it. Every conversation we've had since then has been about this movie. Like my wife and I have talked about it multiple times. It just kind of like lingers and it's just so, uh, it definitely, it just is so easy to watch. So I definitely think it has to be in there. I'd say that in addition to the, the Sharon Tate stuff, and that'll be up for debate, I'm sure, as the movie's legacy is defined. It doesn't have the the violence, I think we touched upon, but it also doesn't have like the, necessarily the snappy Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs dialogue from Tarantino, which you could hold against it. But I don't think it's just, it's just not that type of movie. And if you really listen to some of the lines. I mean, in that acting sequence with the little girl and some of the other stuff in there with old yeah. and, and even, um, um, who's the other guy he's acting across? Oh, it's uh, Perry. Perry. Yep. Yeah. Like if you listen to the dialogue there, that's not just like half-assed written, like fake garble, garbly good. That's like good fucking writing. And it's like, it's so Leo's little speech about the book is like basically where Tar- it's like the most personal thing Tarantino's ever written. So, on one hand, you could say, yeah, it doesn't sound like Pulp Fiction. It doesn't have like I'm not going to be re- reciting the quotes from it like Pulp Fiction or Reservoir Dogs. But the dialogue is there. I mean, it goes toe to toe with any of his other best words, I think. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's just I love it. I, I, I love the movie. And I, yeah, it's in my top five. Where do you have it ranked? 
So, and that's why I kind of have it more of a spiritual relative of Jackie Brown. Like, I don't think there's many quotes that I'll, you know, use right. yeah, on from Jackie Brown. Last week, yeah, and then have a ton for Jackie Brown. Yeah, I, I think it actually would hit my top five. I think it'd be five for me. Like, I think, right. I still think, I can't get rid of Pulp. I can't get rid of Inglorious. I can't get rid of Reservoir Dogs. That's where I stand. Yeah, those are the three that are entrenched. Yeah. Uh, but, and I, then, I mean, I, I have to say, I liked it just as much as any of those movies upon first watch, I feel like. But I, maybe I'm just overreacting. I love yeah. that guy. I think I I'd safely put it as like my five. Like I just everything about it was enjoyable. It was just a, a fun movie. Like th- sure there might be some controversy with certain things, but I loved it, man. It was just a good movie. It's a good hang, and I think that it has all like the right messages where it's like it's content with its failure, uh, but it also shows that like you can go in and out, and which is so true about life. It's like Leo is like ups and downs and like, he's just ebbing and flowing. He's, he's very much like his departed character where it's like, he's high, low. And it's almost like he's bipolar, but like, that's how life is. Like, and he says it early on in the movie. It's like, I could be at a pool party and meet the most famous director in town. It's like, that's why you have real estate in Hollywood. And so it's right. like, you know, it's just a journey. And I love, I just love the journey and what it was saying about uh, the industry of movie making. And then just these characters in general, they're, He's so aspiring too. It's like they're they're such polar opposites. Cliff is like this quasi Big Lebowski type character, right? He's almost <laughs> That's content with yeah. He's content with doing nothing, which is why I think I'm so appealed to him because it's just so memorable in that sense. It's, it's like it's hard to find guys that are just like purely. I don't really want to do much. I just want to. He can fix things with his hands. He could win fights drink beer yeah. and, and have laughs with his buddies, but he's not really into doing too much more than that. And that's like Lebowski, really. Uh, yep. And then you have. Uh, the on the opposite hand is Rick Dalton. He's extremely, extremely ambitious. You know, he's afraid to cry in public. He's super vulnerable, and so it's like it's all these different, it's these two different type, two different archetypes. But they're both like great just to watch on screen. And it nicely, but also kind of weirdly, had a very poignant view on aging and like where you are in your career. And like I thought oh, it was kind of like almost a medic of Tarantino being like, "Listen, I I know I'm getting a little older, but I still got my fastball. You know, like every oh, once in a while." Still- <laughs> That's what I, yeah, you asked the biggest takeaway. Tarantino still has the fastball. Yeah. I mean, the scenes of Brad Pitt driving, the music blaring, it's just like, that is just heavenly. It's so good. Yeah. Uh, you have the, again, I hate to keep going back to it, but it's like the Leo acting sequences on the Western, on the Lancer. Those are some of the best. I mean, it's Leo at his peak, and you got the Bruce Lee fight, which is so funny in classic yeah. Tarantino. Because especially because it's a flashback too, which I really makes me even appreciate it more. It's not actually in the straight line narrative of the movie. It's like baked in as a thing. And then you know another scene that's kind of wild. I was just thinking about is like her watching herself in the movie theater, and she's yep. going through the movements, and then it flashes back to to Bruce Lee and her training, and she's so happy with herself and like seeing her smile. There's that's really like the most unique thing that he's ever done. And there's so many things in there that are just like he. He's definitely trying too. He's not asleep. That's I really appreciate that too. He could have made this a carbon copy of Inglorious Bastards. You almost feel like yep. right. He could have the Spawn Ranch thing could have been like a chapter, just like once yeah. upon a time. Oh, you know. But I kind of liked the cutting up of the day in the life of all three of them. It really kind of gave it a a nice energy, especially on the second watch. It's like it definitely that first part that seems slow when you first see it. It definitely has great movement, and it's I think the because of the way he did it, he cut it up where you're bouncing around and you're not just in one chapter. Yeah. 
Well, granted, we are two uh, Tarantino files and uh, big fans, uh, but we, we give it two, uh, two approvals. So everyone should go out and see it. And uh, we're curious to see what everyone thinks. You go ahead and leave some comments. Let us know uh, your thoughts on it. I please, yeah, please do. Now, we're going to shift gears. We've got another big movie to discuss. Yeah, we're talking and this, old Hollywood and then old... <laughs> and then old. really old Hollywood. So the trailer for Martin Scorsese's The Irishman dropped. And before we go into it, I just want to say uh, I am a sucker for a good trailer. I'm also a sucker for any kind of hype video. So when I see a trailer, I tend to overreact. Uh, but let's break this one down. Um, what was your initial takeaway from seeing this this first trailer? Uh, yeah, my initial reaction was that it looks, I kind of actually, it's so weird. It's because when it was first announced, I was so, so pumped. Right. And then it was like, it's gone through such mayhem being made that I've, my expectations have kind of run dry on it. And then the roller coaster of life, like I was just saying the ebb and flow, it's like, now I'm back on, I'm so pumped for it. Like the trailer is, that's exactly what I first was envisioning when I first heard of this project. Uh, and so it has a, this kind of negative history, but man, it, the payoff looks like it's it's going to be the real thing. I mean, it looks good. Yeah, and if anyone isn't aware, I guess I should have gone into that. So this is Martin Scorsese's movie. It stars uh, Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, uh, Joe, Joe Pesci, Pesci Harvey, Ke- yeah. yep, Harvey Keitel. Uh, and it kind of circles around Jimmy Hoffa and his disappearance told from the vantage point of an Irish hitman. So, I mean – I, I you, you get the nostalgia too when you see Joe Pesci talking to Robert De Niro. Like the second I heard Pesci's voice, I was like, "Yes, let's go!" And I mean, there, so we'll, we'll discuss the de aging thing that people are a little hung up on. But just from the way it looks, from being down at the docks to seeing Pacino as Hoffa, like everything about that trailer got me so jacked up. And I was like, "I fucking wish this movie was coming out tomorrow." Yeah, I mean it. It's been a long time coming. I, almost, it's funny that we're actually talking about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and The Irishman on the same pods because, it really, in terms of the anticipation, I mean, both are very similar. I remember exactly when I first heard that Tarantino was doing this Sharon Tate movie, and I remember exactly where I was when I heard this news that like Scorsese is working with Pacino and De Niro and Pesci. I remember I was yeah. like, wow, yeah, unbelievable. Uh, I mean, just seeing the trailer, it's just, yeah, seeing the, the aging process and what it's going to be like in terms of the multi-layer story over time, it's going to be an epic, I think. And I'm excited. I think uh, Martin Scorsese is still producing some great work. I mean, yep. for, for people that think he's past his prime, I mean, the the movie that he made a couple years ago, Silence with Andrew Garfield and Adam Driver, is one of his best, in my opinion. Um, I'm excited. Yeah, and he's one of the directors, so he's up there for me in terms of like Tarantino, Scorsese, yeah. and Christopher Nolan. I'm at the point with them where I'm just giving them the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to go see their movies. They've got my 1250, and the beauty of this one is that there is no 1250. Right. It's just uh, Netflix. You can get it. Um, before we get into Netflix, so it should be mentioned that this movie also has Harvey Keitel, Bobby Cannavale, Ray Romano, Anna Paquin. I mean, this is the most loaded roster of actors I've ever seen. I think there's six Academy Award winners among them. I mean, That's Anna Paquin has an Academy Award, and as the trailer loved to point out, yeah, the three, the three leads also have statues. So I mean, it's it's a loaded uh, cast. But yeah, the Netflix thing is interesting. Uh, you wonder, you know, Scorsese is he's a film director, and you go see. We were just praising Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Part of the allure of it is seeing it in theaters and just yep. 
walking out and just basking in its glory. So it'll be weird to see a Martin Scorsese movie on Netflix. Now I know we watched a ton of Scorsese movies at home, so it's kind of stupid, but I don't know. The, what do you think? Will you be affected by watching this one for first go at, in, on your couch? I, I think I am. So I read that it will have a right. small theatrical release, and I'm honestly debating it because I, you know, we, you, we watch a ton of movies on Netflix. I've even watched a lot of their original movies on Netflix, but I've never left a Netflix movie that I'm watching on my couch kind of feeling the same as when I have left the theater seeing a great movie. Something about being in the dark room with the, the big screen, the sounds, something about all of that just kind of adds to my – I guess, appeal and enjoyment of the movie. So I'm a little concerned. Uh, and they're obviously pushing this to be an Oscar movie. Like I remember, I think the first like teaser was during this year's Oscars telecast. Like when they go through who's starring in it, it's just Academy Award winner, Academy Award winner, Academy Award winner. Yeah, it's so, so crazy. I'm curious because last year, you know, we, we discussed that we thought Roma was going to be the big winner and that was a Netflix movie. So I'm wondering if that has an impact, uh, come Oscar time, I, I think it will. I think it will. I mean, you can't help but think that if Roma couldn't get it done, I mean, what's going to make this movie fight through that crap that always happens at that time of year? You know, I think the only thing this has got going that Roma doesn't is like the names involved. Like Roma has Alfonso yeah. Cuarón, and people know him, but I don't think a casual moviegoer, you know, would would definitely think that. Yeah, no, you're like, right. Everyone knows Scorsese. Everyone knows De Niro. Everyone knows Pacino. So I think that might help its case. Um, I'm, I got to decide, though. Do I want to go to the theater and spend the money when I know I can watch it for free in like two weeks after it premieres? <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's such a tough thing because it's like I want to be able to see this in theaters. But knowing that I can save my, my 12 bucks is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's touch uh, the de-aging. So what happened was. Yes, please. Yes. I was going to say that's I almost feel like this is going to carry too much of the narrative. Yeah. Of this movie. Yeah, I agree. And we'll get to uh, Bill Simmons in the ringer. So, you know, we, we watched their, their content a lot. We'll get to him and his opinion. But yeah, what they did was these guys are really old and they need them to look slightly younger. So, I, you know, when they, when they first showed De Niro, I almost didn't notice it until. I saw Pesci and I was like, all right, Pesci looks old as fuck. How is De Niro not? Oh, look old? he looks, he looks terrible. Yeah. But I mean, let's sure. that, he's got to be close to 80. Yeah, you know? he is. Definitely. Yeah. So, you know, I think people thought that they were going to make these guys look like they were like 30, which is not what they were trying to do. I think they're trying to make them look like 50. Uh, and yeah, I, I just, mean, this is a story that takes place in their life. I mean, Hoffa wasn't in his thirties when right. this happened. Yeah. I, I get the argument that they could have gone and found young actors to play these guys, but I mean, what a risk that is. Yeah. To, that could ruin the movie if the young actors are not good enough. I mean, you see it all the time in TV shows. I mean, we still talk about AJ Soprano. I right. Mean, come on. Right. So I like it. I mean, these guys are legends and seeing them back on the screen, it has the nostalgia factor and you know, totally. you're still, you're still talking about a mafia movie and these guys excel at that. Like this is their absolute wheelhouse. This is the bread and butter for yeah. Scorsese. And it, it, it can't, I feel like you can't talk about this movie without bringing on the fact that, like, they begged Pesci. I think it was like, yep. I've read 50 times to do this movie. So, like, Scorsese is clearly very passionate about this project. And he's had to put a lot of money into it. He's had to go through the circus for this movie. So, I guess that there's two arguments. The de aging is going to take away from the movie or the talk about it is going to be too much and that's going to suffocate it. But then the, the, the contrary to that is that it's like this, these guys are experts. They, yep. they know exactly what they're doing. And, uh, 
Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how this one plays out because the medium itself is almost Netflix has gotten so big as a company that it's big enough that it could overcloud somebody as big as Robert De Niro and Al Pacino. And so that'll, that'll be interesting to see, like, what is the narrative coming out of this movie? Is it the gang is back together and it's amazing? Or is it like Netflix? Netflix is coming to take over the entertainment industry. So yeah, we'll see. And, and Netflix is very famous for not releasing stats. Like I wonder yes. if they're going to do that, you know, because if, if this is a quote unquote, a theatrical hit, you know, like once upon a time in Hollywood made $40 million on, in its opening weekend, that's unbelievable for a movie of its, of what that is. Are they going to do that with this movie? Or is it just going to be like, we have no idea who's watching it. Yeah. I, I think it's going to be pretty popular. I would, my guess would be, they have pumped enough money into making it that they're not going to be shy on promoting it. And yeah. uh, they're also losing a ton of content as a company. So it's, this is like a key almost cog in their, their wheel now. Um, they, and they want this to be successful. I guess the part that I'm kind of a little leery on and I would agree with the, the ringer kind of take would be that they are kind of manufacturing this, like, you know, it's like a formula that they know that we're going to enjoy it. So I kind of hate, I hate knowing that, but it's not going to take away from me enjoying it at all. But it's definitely like it's kind of wild that these companies are out there spending 150 million dollars on on like figuring out. Yeah, figuring out exactly what we want to see. Oh, and then the de-aging. Yeah, it's I don't see. I don't think that like as much as much of a distraction as. Right. Yeah. Bill Simmons, that was like the only thing he could focus on. Like, yeah. I mean, Sean Young is de-aged in the end of the new Blade Runner movie, and I feel like right. that, didn't, that didn't throw me for a loop. It was just like seeing her back in the old one. And it, hell, we just saw, not to bring back the movie again, we just saw freaking Leonardo DiCaprio get installed into The Great Escape in the middle of another movie where he's playing another character. I mean, if that can be done and I can enjoy it, like, how can the aging process really slow down this right. movie about Hoffa? I mean, and we got, it can it? We've really got impossible? Star Wars movies putting guys from the seventies who've been dead for almost thirty years. They're putting him in Rogue One. They've got Carrie Fisher. Like th- yeah. that shouldn't take away from what's happening on the screen. Like if that's all you're focusing on, you're you're not seeing the movie properly. Yeah, I mean, I get I get the argument that it's like it's absurd that they spend so much money on this movie, but like I also think it's, it's important to note that like it's not just the de aging process that's making this movie costly. It's right. marketing it. Like I just said, they're going to spend a ton of money on it. Also, they had to fucking pull these guys out of retirement. That couldn't have been cheap. And they have to reshoot things. They've, they've had all sorts of budgetary problems before the movie got made and Netflix came in. So it's like, yeah, of course, the finances on this movie are not great. Why, why do we even care anyways? It's like right. if it's an amazing movie, who the fuck cares how much it costs to make? It's stupid. This is like when people freak out about baseball teams overpaying for film. It's like you're not paying this. You're not funding this movie. Like who gives a fuck if they're spending that money? If it's going to be excellent and I enjoy it. Spend however the fuck money you yeah. want to spend. <laughs> yeah, comparing it to the movie that we just talked about, if Tarantino spent $500 million to make Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I would say that it was worth it. And I'm not right. someone – I usually am on the opposite end of that take. I always am like, how the hell could they have spent this much money on, I don't know, Tylenol or whatever? Like I'm kind of more <laughs> – I, I side on the more frugal side of these arguments. But like if it's fucking amazing, like who cares? Like it really – it doesn't matter. Yeah. And it's also they had they had to the age the guys. Like I don't think they actually had an option on this one. I think if they had cast young actor to play young Al Pacino, it just would not work. Totally agree, man. Totally agree. How can you duplicate Joe Pesci? Right. You can't. You I don't want to see it. You you're already making me disinterested when you're saying, Oh yeah, there's a movie about Hoffman that's starring Al Pacino, but there's gonna be a lot of flashbacks with like Aaron Carter is is the Pacino. It's like, no, I don't 
I want Pacino, yeah. you know, figure Give it me, out. And, and right. they figured it out and kudos to them. And it might be, they might not look great and it might, that might detract from it, but I'd rather go down the route where they're de-aged and it's just Pacino the whole time than some other guy trying to play Pacino. Yeah, I agree. Um, okay. Last topic. This is a curveball. It wasn't on our agenda. So I'm coming to you. This is going to be a pure gut reaction. Is it Broncos? Yes, it is. How do you feel about your Denver Broncos? I know it's preseason. I know it was the Hall of Fame game, so you can't really take too much away. But what are you thinking? Uh, Yeah, hot take is I hate the Hall of Fame game because I knew it's bad when eight hours before kickoff, you're talking to your buddy about how low scoring it is and how we're just going to run the football. It's going to be 80% runs and the coaches are just going to want to get out of there without injuries. And sure enough, eight hours later, it's like nobody's playing. That's a starter. Every play is a run. They just are trying to milk the clock and get out of there. It literally played out exactly the way I thought. It's exciting that football's back. That's my main point. Uh, There's not much else to take away. I mean, Locke looked like a guy who's going to need some time. And, you know, if they need to roll with Kevin Hogan as the backup while he matures, I'm fine with it. Yeah. I'm just, I'm very scared that he's another Paxton Lynch. We talked about this on the draft in April. Yeah. And seeing him as the third string, I have like this mental thing now. It's like, Young rookie quarterback is our third string. That's not a good sign. Paxton Lynch. Like I immediately go there. So it's like, yeah, if, if he can't beat out Kevin Hogan in training camp, it's just like Paxton Lynch. How could Paxton Lynch not beat out like Trevor Simeon or some of these other guys that we had in here? It's like not a good sign. Like yep. if, if Drew Locke coming out of college isn't already better than Kevin Hogan, we probably don't have an NFL quarterback, I would guess. <laughs> Hey man. He's to be NFL ready, right? I mean, I mean, I agree. Baker stepped right into it last year. Darnold stepped right into it. And again, I love the fact that we got locked in the second round. So like your team, unlike your team, I should say, we don't have that first round tag hanging over lock. So it's not as a rush process, which is good, which I want to be more patient. But like, I am very concerned that he's third string. Uh, yeah. and, and ultimate takeaway is screw the fucking all fame game. It was nice. It was nice seeing Champ Bailey and the the moments of Pat Bowen, and, and I'm going to watch the enshrinement tomorrow. But uh, the game itself is the a game joke. And yeah, the fact that they can't put more money into that field or just not play a game there. Why can't they right. just have a Hall of Fame ceremony like every other Hall of Fame and not play a game? Like, right. it doesn't make any sense. I, uh, having five preseason games doesn't make any sense. They're trying to lower it to two. Yet the Broncos and Falcons have to play five just because they had guys that were inducted to the Hall of Fame this year. Yeah, it's an. Say it out loud. It doesn't make any sense. It's like they've only been. I was watching the game and somebody asked last night, like, "Oh, like blah blah blah, like how long have they been in camp for?" And I was like, "I think they've only been there for six or seven days." So they're already trying to already like, playing. Yeah, they're already playing. It's just not. It's stupid. They should, every team should their first preseason game should be this upcoming Thursday, and there should be no game held on this Thursday. I agree. I, I tuned in for about one series. All I, I got excited that football is on the television, but that was about yeah. the extent of my, uh, my pain. You saw NFL uniforms yep. and you saw football and it wasn't, uh, the league that came on last year, the Alliance. So. Thank God. All right, Colter, yeah. this was a lot of fun, man. We covered a lot. So, uh, we will see everybody next time was, on, uh, I was on Double say, what is the, what is the next pop culture thing? You know? Yeah. I don't know. We got to think about it. We got, are you, are you a succession fan or no? Yes, I am. So that's <laughs> all right. They're that's right. good. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> perfect. We found it. I love it. <laughs> love I that love show. It, yeah. That's great. So that comes back, I think in like 10 days or so. So I'm not going to lie. I'm more excited for that than I I was for Game of Thrones. And now people will say, like, oh, you're just in hindsight because the season was bad. I am so pumped for success. I am too. Like, so, yeah, so let's pumped. do a succession episode. So uh, keep your eyes out for that one. Coulter, thanks as always, bud.
All right, thank you. Baby, look at me. Look at me. Your money, and you know what else? You're a big winner tonight. I want to leave. You're a big winner. I'm going to ask you a simple question. I want you to listen to me. Who's the big winner here tonight at the casino? Huh? Mikey, that's oh, who. Mikey's the big winner. Mikey wins. Fucking All right, fine. I'm an asshole, but you know what? You're the big winner tonight, Mikey. You're the big winner in more ways than one.